0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Two
1: Thessalonians. No, one Thessalonians. Good start. Chapter four. As Father matters, there it is, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. So Paul, as we've heard about in Thessalonians, he went to Thessalonica. He spoke to them. He was only there for about three weeks before he got run out of town. And he's saying to them, remember when we were there, we instructed you on how to live. And you're, in fact, living like that. Now, it says there, how to live in order to please God. I just want to point something out here because there's a bit of a vibe today that is very much like, Um, oh God is pleased with you, like it just doesn't matter, God is pleased with you. Um, There's a way to live that pleases God and there's a way to live that isn't pleasing to God. And when I was a a teenager, it's in fact how I really surrendered my life to Christ, even though that surrender took a long time to outwork, is that I was sitting um, and I was doing the overhead projector. You all remember the overhead projector and you put the slides up and and it would project onto the screen, not not like what Renee's doing, which is very technical. It was very basic. So basic, in fact, in our church later, we had a man who um, actually swatted a fly onto the projector base, which then projected up onto the screen. And then he thought, oh no, there's a fly, squash fly on the base. And he spat into his hanky and wiped it across to get rid of it. And that was all projected as well. That was a blessing. Okay, and so it says, but I was sitting there and I was doing projector and communion was being handed around. I was 14 years old and I will never forget that I had this distinct impression that the way that I was living was not pleasing to God. Uh, The way that I knew this is I was a total hypocrite. I'm pretty sure that morning I flipped the bird at my mate um, at church because I forgot where I was. I, I was so many different people according to my different environments. And I just was not the same person. There was no integrity about the way that I was living. And as I sat there in my, it was um, David Coleman actually that I flipped the bird to. And he said, Bron, remember where we are because he was in the same state. He was living a bunch of different ways in different places. And as I was sitting there, I felt like I was not pleasing God with the way I was living. And, and this something rose up within me, which I now know was the Holy Spirit to say, I want to live in a way that pleases God. So there is a way that pleases God. And this is not um, a suggestion. Hey guys, how about you live in a way that pleases God? No, this is an imperative. You need to live in a way that pleases God. It says, now um, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So he's saying, you're actually doing it. How good's that to be able to write to a church and go, you guys are getting this right. But now will you overflow in it? Now will you actually abound in it? And um He says there, I urge you in the Lord Jesus. I urge you in the Lord Jesus. That's key. Because when we commit our lives to Christ, we are then in Lord Jesus. Uh, The best example that I've got, which is not a great analogy, um, but is simply, um, there's a story in the Old Testament about a man called Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth Unfortunate name, um, has had an accident when he was a baby. What used to happen is that the king, if there was a new king, they would go through and kill all the other king's family because they didn't want any um, offspring later on or relative standing up uprising and saying hey I'm actually the true monarch and and be creating a following so they just go through and wipe out all the family so when this new king arose that was of course what the family of the old king thought would happen so the nanny of this little guy who was the grandson of the old king picked him up as a as a child as a toddler and ran out the door but tripped and fell and this little boy became crippled because of her fall and this little boy was called Mephibosheth. And now as an adult, not only is he in hiding and on the run, but he is also crippled. And King David has a moment and is a good king and a righteous king. And he says, is there anyone of Jonathan's family or Saul's family that I can find to be kind to? And he it uh, gets told about Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth is brought to the table, probably worried that there's all kind of trickery going on. And 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 um, yeah, trickery, it's only one word necessary. Uh, and, and brings him to the table, and there's Mephibosheth broken. There's Mephibosheth at the table, undeserving. But David doesn't just see Mephibosheth when he looks at him. He sees his dad, Jonathan, who was David's best friend. Because it's like Mephibosheth is in Jonathan, And you know, you and I are like Mephibosheth. We are broken, we are undeserving, but yet we're brought close to the King's table because when God looks at us, He doesn't just see us, He sees Jesus because we're in Jesus. And so He brings us to the table and He says, no, eat at my table. I know you're not deserving. I know you're broken, but you're in Christ. And so that's the best example I've got. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying, it's not my own advice. It's the marker of those who are in Him. Um, it's the, oh, sorry. No, that was the last second part. We know what instruction, instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. This is not Paul's words. This is, this is the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse three, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, this is not morally perfect. Is there anyone morally perfect here this morning? Um, sanctified means set apart. Sanctified means holy. Now, holy, when we think of something holy, I get a, an image that is like maybe a priest, m- maybe someone who spends a lot, a lot, a lot of time on a hill very quietly and, and or someone who is holier than thou and they come across like a little bit, they've got all the answers and they're super, super awesome and you love being around them. Um, when he says it's God's will that you should be set apart. It means that you are given over to do God's will. You're not morally perfect, but you surrendered to do God's will. Uh, It's like Paul says in in another verse, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. He's saying, it's not up to me anymore. And so it says you should be set apart... And then it says, so in that, to that end, you should avoid sexual immorality. So if we can understand what this statement means, we have to understand the sexual context of the day. Now, there's a whole lot that I could talk about right now. And you're all going to get super awkward. So let me stay on the highlights. Highlights, maybe. Um, headlines, let's say headlines. Uh, in the, the Roman sexual context, so remember that the Romans were the overarching rule in Thessalonica that they are actually, um, you know, they, they, they don't rule themselves. Roman rule, Rome rules them. Uh, there's fornication, no problem. That's just sex before marriage. Um, actually, there was a worship to a bunch of deities at that time that involved sexual activity. There was vast promiscuity, Men had all the um, sexual dominance, and it didn't matter. It was nothing of whether you had sex with a man or a woman or a boy um, or a girl, as provided they were your slave, provided they weren't freed people. So what we've got here is um, fornication is rampant. Promiscuity is totally fine. Um, sexual decisions are based on cultural constructs rather than a moral plumb line. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Uh, yeah, so... You know, sometimes people will say, well, when Paul writes this stuff, it's to a different age in a different time, so it doesn't apply to our time. I look at this and I'm like, okay, there's some differences, but there were people who were completely powerless when it came to what was done to them. That's totally the case today. Promiscuity was totally, you know, okay. That's totally okay today. And, um, and sex outside of marriage is totally okay and that's totally okay today. It was treated as an idol. It was treated as something that you, you know, you almost worshipped. That's totally the case today as well. Now, um, if you're someone who has any issues, that's all pastoral conversations. If you've got real deep questions about this stuff, that's pastoral conversations rather than preaching from a pulpit right now. And so I'd encourage you, like, Um, Andrew, uh, Phoebe, myself, we would love to sit down and talk to you about that stuff because um, we really consider it very important as Paul did here. But we're not going to hit everything that, that everyone's going through right now. So it says that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy. There's that word again. So you should treat your body as set apart and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So that could be going to business. That could be moving on and talking about business now that you shouldn't take advantage of a brother or sister. Or it could be just a complete segue from what it was just talking about. And in that case, this is revolutionary. That Paul is talking about that you should not take advantage of anyone sexually. That is totally outside all realms of cultural practice in this day and age. It says here, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. I just want to point that out because there are some people who have had such sins committed against them. And the Bible says here that the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And if you've ever had any degree of, let's call it sexual misconduct, let's call it sexual immorality, whatever you want, then you know that that continuing presence of God, that felt sense of God with you, it feels like there's a break in that. It feels like something's not quite right here. And if you know, you know. So let's move on to verse 9, okay? How's everyone going? You good? Okay. Yeah, well, at least you've got something to talk about at the tables during reflection time. Okay, verse nine. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. What a cool verse. In fact, you do all love God's family throughout Macedonia yet we urge you brothers and sisters to do so more and more that's the same word that abounding word that overflowing word you're living in a way that pleases God but do it more and more here it is again you're loving but do it more and more verse 11 this is really interesting and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may respect may win the respect of outsiders and that you will not need to be dependent on anybody so verse 11 says make it your ambition to lead a quiet life would you say that that is um, something that our our culture tries to do to lead a quiet life who's on instagram yep would you say that people on instagram are trying to lead a quiet life would you say that they're trying to gather as many followers as they can would you say that people are trying to promote controversy so that they will get more engagement with their followers now there's nothing long, wrong with instagram nothing at all it just leads to sin. No, I'm kidding. Um, there's nothing wrong with Instagram, but people are trying to build their profile, right? They're not trying to lead a quiet life. But it says here, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So just in the few minutes that I have, I just want to remind you of a couple of weeks ago when I talked about chapter two, that like I said, that they were under the Roman rulership and and it had a couple of uprisings in the century before. And so they had... W- you know, gone through and taxed this part of um, Macedonia heavily so that they might never recover. But they've finally gotten to a place where they are just um, okay with Rome, where they're totally loyal to Rome. And so any question of any kind of king rising up, they want to squash that right away, which is why they ran Paul out of town. But there's another dynamic that's going on here whereby in Rome and in Roman culture, and societies birthed from Rome, there was something called the client-patron relationship. So just say... Andrew's super important. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew is super important, everybody. (laughs) He really is. And just say Andrew. Okay, no, we're going to go right away from any person because it gets ugly. So just say there's a person who's really wealthy and a freed freed Roman. They would have what they called clients. And so this person would be totally dependent on them 100%. They would go and run their errands. Uh, If that person were to run for parliament, they would go and spread their good name around um, the city, and they would just be that general groupie kind of person. Now, that person might be someone who lived in their household but wasn't family. It might be someone who um, was in sexual servitude to them but now has been freed and has agreed to remain in sexual servitude to them. And so, um, because if if they were free, then that would actually be illegal uh, for them to, mm, gosh, There's a whole lot of anatomy here that I don't need to go into. Um, But if you want to know about it, come and see me later and I I won't judge you. Um, So it's actually super interesting. Bring it back, Bron. Okay, so the client-patron relationship was such that that they fed you. All your needs were looked after as long as you were completely loyal to them and you did whatever they asked you to do. Uh, And so Paul's saying, I don't want you to be completely dependent on anyone except God. Go get a job. Go work with your hands. Don't live in servitude to somebody else, even if you're a free person and you're able to just, you know, run and and go build them up in the city and and run their campaign for them or, or further their campaign for them. No, no, go get a job. Work with your hands so that you can lead a simple and quiet life and then your daily life will win the respect of outsiders because when you're a groupie and you're just trying to hang on someone else's coattails, that doesn't win the respect of anybody. You need to be someone who's dependent on Christ only and not someone who has the ability to take your, um, your well-being out from under you because then you might be at risk of not living wholeheartedly for Jesus. I just want to bring that into today's society and I'm so grateful for government benefits. I am so, so grateful for government benefits. I could not have raised my children. I could not have lived the life that I have without government benefits. And so I'm super grateful. But I just want to warn us that imagine if our government benefits were dependent on our loyalty to the government rather than to Jesus Christ. What would we do? What would our choice be? Would we be so dependent that we were unable to make any other choice? Or would we be willing to give everything away for Jesus? And on that note, talk amongst yourselves for five minutes about whether or not you would like to serve Rome or Jesus. <laughs> no, actually, we're going to have um, a, a slide come up. It's really what occurred to you from this passage. So you might like to read through it again together. What is a question that it prompted and what's one thing you can do going forward? What spoke to you? And uh, we'll come back in just a few minutes with Pastor Andrew.
0: Um, we're going to talk from that last slide that Pastor Bron had up. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12. I'm glad it's ready to go. Um, really cool passage, I find. Um, But we're going to talk about conduct, Christian conduct, and what what we've been learning in the last couple of weeks about the Thessalonian church is that they're absolutely acing it. They got converted. The church was set up in three weeks, and um, after Paul and Silas broke out of prison and converted people and by God's grace they converted capable people who fell in love with Jesus who understood the saving nature and the saving grace that that God um, puts into them through the Holy Spirit and they just started this church that exploded to the point where neighboring churches in the other regions, We're looking to them for an example. These amateurs, these rookies, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, they were just serving God wholeheartedly. And that is just phenomenal. But Paul, as we read through Thessalonians, Paul talks about these stages of the Christian walk and he, he says through, through the first couple of chapters, you guys are doing really well. You, you had it, you were up against it. There was a, the whole culture is just rotten, as we just heard from, from Pastor Bron in no uncertain terms. But they just had, they had, it was against the odds that they were set up for success, um, or should I say set up for failure. But they really did an amazing job of just leading a quiet life and making it their ambition to love God, serve God, and to bring about his glory. So verse 11 and 12 in chapter 4, "'Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody.'" That's the job description of a Christian, yeah? If we can summarise how we are to live in one verse or two verses, 11 and 12, that's how we're meant to live. It's not about being up on stage and projecting the gospel. It's not about, um, you know, handing out tracts in the street. It's not about being one of those weird Christians. It's just about being genuine. It's just about being real. It's just about going about your life, whatever it might be. Doing it in a way where people go, hang on, there's something different about that person. There's something different about Dye Case. There's something different about David Moore. There's something different about Frank Coleman. What is it? And so people, people look in and people, it just, light attracts, yeah? So when the light of Jesus shines out of you, people notice. People see it. People go, hang on, there's something different about that person. They're doing the same thing. They seem the same to me, but they're different, and I don't know what it is. And and we as Christians, in this current climate and context, in terms of the reputation of the church, we've stuffed it up. Not we, I'm not we're not blaming myself or, or anyone else. But the culture and society that we live in would say. We don't need the church because the church has stuffed it up. The church has had royal commissions. The church um, has moral failures. The church, the church, the church. I don't need that. And so we, we live in this age of post-Christendom where the church has been so powerful and so um, has been a part of the fabric of society. We're slowly kind of coming out of that. I don't I don't feel that that's a problem. I actually think that's a good thing. I find that I find that as a, as Christians we have the we have the unique opportunity to go out into a society and show genuine Christianity because people who don't go to church have seen this Christianity—that's all swinging pots of incense and dudes in white robes and and um, people praying to show other people that they're praying or they're holier than thou. Or it's the weird auntie that posts Jesus memes on Facebook. Or it's it's the weird uncle that always wants to talk about Jesus and tell you that you're sinning and you're not living according to God. And and we just have this amazing ability to strip. Back and show, show society what real Christianity is all about, where they haven't been influenced poorly by the people around them in their life. And the Thessalonians had that opportunity right there. They had this brand new salvation and a way of a way of living that promoted God. And so we we find that as an instruction to living. We do it quietly. So that doesn't mean that you can't tell people about God. It doesn't mean that you can't post Bible verses on your Facebook. That's all fantastic. But go about it in a way that you're not trying to show it to people, which is kind of hard because we're trying to be a good witness and we're trying to show that we are different, but we don't have to be weird about it. Just make it an ambition to lead a quiet life. People will notice... A quiet life. People will notice that we're not on a platform. You don't need a platform to project a message. Ironically, he says from the platform, projecting a message. You should mind your own business and work with your hands. Whatever work you do, there is a way of showing that you're a God person. I had a conversation with an accountant this week, a member of our church. He said, I just want to know how I can show God in my workplace. And I said, fantastic. Let's talk further. But by doing a good job as a Christian, you will know that you are being a great example. That's the first calling. You don't have to join the ministry. You don't have to set up a Christian charity. You don't have to do any of that. Do your job. Do your job well so that people see that you are a Christian. God's given you a skill set. God's given you a calling into that workplace or into that industry go and do that faithfully just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody I, um, I don't know why I thought this this week but just I've been thinking about the Thessalonian church for many many weeks um, as we dive into this book and I feel like I feel like Paul was really surprised, really, really surprised, and he had a bit of conviction around um, setting up the Thessalonian church and just being really surprised at how they actually held on to God. Now, I've got lots of – so, yes, Instagram is good. Um, It can be a sin. I understand that. I've got some – I've got a really varied – I've got heaps of varied categories in my Instagram feed. We all do, right? One of them is uh, I really like watching surfing videos. Now, I'm not a surfer. Surfers aren't built like this. I can't surf. I grew up in Newcastle. Um, I tried to surf. I have surfed, but I can't surf, if that makes sense. But I love watching surfing videos. I just just love how – I love how the ocean water feels on your skin. I love the beauty of a, a formed wave, a perfectly formed wave, and a, just a surfboard just cutting through um, untouched water. I love it. What I also love is wipe-out videos. <laughs> They are so cool. They are really cool. But I feel like Paul watching from afar, watching the Thessalonian church from afar, is like watching a surfing video where they drop in on a wave, and particularly one of the bigger ones where it comes over and there's so much whitewash, and they're just in front of the whitewash, and the whitewash is coming, and they're just trying to carve off the wave, really. They've got on, but you can see that they're just trying to get off the wave, and and then this whitewash just comes over and there's all this spray and you never know where the water actually is, but you're watching a video and then the surfer just disappears. And you're like, oh no, they're hitting coral. They are coming up, please come up, please come up. And then they come out. And if you, if you watch a lot of these like surfers posts on Instagram, you'll just hear guys on the beach like behind the iPhone. If someone's, if someone's filming, and you've got a couple of guys behind the iPhone filming. You'll just hear this, Ha-ha! when this surfer emerges from the whitewash. And I, I love that. And I feel like Paul was just elsewhere, not in and Thessalonica, and he's just heard these reports from Timothy, and he's just gone... <laughs> you guys are still serving God? Like, I know the culture. I understand all the hardships. I understand that I didn't set you up for success because I had to flee from the city. I was going to be killed. And you guys stayed there. And you guys discipled one another. And you guys actually formed the church built the church, ran the church, built the church, kept running the church, kept building the church, and you're still serving God, that is amazing. I thought you were going to wipe out. And Paul's watching their conduct from afar, and he, and he realises that he as, as much as he did, and he did everything he could, He showed them his passion for Jesus. He showed them his conduct. He writes to them about living to please God in chapter 4. And he goes about... Maintaining and uh, maintaining relationship and being intentional about it, I think Phoebe said uh, last week the week before last week last week um, that it was Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote so out of all the churches he planted on his second journey sec- second trip around the Roman Empire, he plants the Thessalon- Thessalonian church, and that's, but that 's the first letter that he writes because he kno- he thought that they were going to wipe out but they didn't because they kept their conduct and their character in line with Jesus. And so Paul's very intentional about um, pastoring these guys and and being purposeful with the way he disciples them. And he gives this encouragement to them to make it an ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands. And that's it because he knows that they've got – God in their heart. He knows that that's all down pat. He's like, okay, this is how you're really effective. That's fantastic that you're saved. Praise God. Hebrews 12.1 says that there's a band of saints in heaven that cheers people on. Cheers, one, uh, cheers us on. Cheers, everyone, cheers every Christian on and intercedes for us. And as we go about our life, our day to day, whatever that might be, Cutting up sheep in an abattoir, building a brick wall, sorting out the network IT stuff in a company, (laughs) whatever you do, we (laughs) we love what you do. Whatever you do, do it as doing it for God. Do it with good character and do it knowing that it has an impact far greater than what you can imagine. Hang on to God. You might feel like you're about to wipe out. You might feel like it's going to be tough. You might feel like you're not up to the task, but there's a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on, interceding for you and wanting success, just like Paul was to the Thessalonian church. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you.